I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. and welcome to Thoughts from a Hairy Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 84 of Thoughts from a Hairy Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about militarized police. an interesting experience last week. I got an email from the U.S. Department of Defense responding to an article I wrote for the Tenth Amendment Center on a bill that is pending in the Oregon legislature to help block the militarization of state and local police. Now, this bill would bar uh, police departments in Oregon from acquiring certain types of military gear from the federal military surplus program it's known as the 1033 program. Um, the law would apply both to that and other military surplus programs operated by the federal government. So I wrote an article about this, and, and we are supportive of limiting police militarization at the 10th Amendment Center. And, and personally, I am too. I don't think that uh, our local police department needs to be rolling around in armored vehicles and carrying assault weapons and basically acting like soldiers in Mogadishu. So... I wrote this article, and Susan Lowe in the Public Affairs Office of the Defense Logistics Agency, and that's the uh, agency within the DOD that handles the military surplus programs, she took issue with my characterization in the article of mine-resistant armored vehicles, also known as MRAPs. And I said that they were essentially unarmed tanks. And uh, she called my description, quote, misleading. This is what uh, Susan had to say to me. MRAPs and tanks are two totally different vehicles. A tank is a heavily armored tracked vehicle that has a rotating turret that carries a cannon. It is designed to attack. It can only carry its crew, which consists of four people, including a vehicle commander, a gunner, a loader for the gun, and a driver. An MRAP is a truck. It has wheels, not tracks. It does not have a cannon in a rotating turret. It is a truck that is armored to protect its occupants. The windshield and window glass are designed to resist small arms fire to protect the occupants. It is designed to protect, not to attack. Okay, so first I have to note that in my article, I did not say an MRAP is a tank. I said an MRAP is essentially an unarmed tank. Those two words are important, essentially and unarmed. 
The word essentially implies similar, but not the same as. And I think anybody that's ever seen an MRAP, any average Joe walking down the street, is going to agree with me that it is essentially an unarmed tank. Now, Susan wanted me to change the article, but I decided not to. I stand by my description. In fact, I've got a friend who has a son that's in the Army, and he served a tour in Afghanistan, and he described an MRAP this way. Quote, it's basically a tank shaped like a garbage truck, unquote. So if a soldier who served in a combat zone feels comfortable comparing an MRAP to a tank, well, I think I'm all right to go with it. And I did. So this all raises an interesting question. What's the big brouhaha anyway? Why in the world does the Defense Logistics Agency care what the Tenth Amendment Center is saying about its... uh, its military surplus program. Well, I think it's indicative of the fact that the federal government has an image problem when it comes to militarizing police, and they know it. They don't want the public to have the impression that cops are riding around in tanks. You know. But the fact of the matter is, all you got to do is look at these these uh, massive responses for civil disturbances or, uh, you know, even in Tampa, they actually rolled out a uh, armored personnel carrier to deal with a few protesters back in, I think it was 2010. There's an article about it I found. And uh, ironically, the armored personnel carrier they were riding in had tracks, which Susan made the huge, huge deal about. Uh, Tanks have tracks. Well, uh, the interesting thing is the police departments were required to return the tracked armored personnel carriers uh, after President Obama issued an executive order after the Ferguson riots uh, rolling back the uh, 1033 program and actually prohibiting certain equipment that was particularly combat-oriented. So at any rate, there's been a lot of backlash against this whole police militarization business, and rightfully so. I mean, I think we all intuitively understand that we don't want Barney Fife saying, Hey, throw me the keys to the tank and pitch me my grenade launcher. And here's the problem with all of this. When you give, there's an old saying. The saying is this, if all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. And that's the dynamic that we've started to see in local policing. You give these guys armored vehicles and, you know, military-style weapons, military-style clothing. You tell them they're in a war. They're going to start to behave like that. And what we've done is we've turned serve and protect into command and control. It's a mentality. Giving guys military weapons telling them they are soldiers in a war. They are going to start behaving like soldiers in a war. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. And the federal government has a vested interest in all of this. They want to militarize state and local police because they need foot soldiers for the war on drugs. And that's what all of this comes down to. It's this stupid war on drugs. The federal government cannot impose and enforce drug prohibition alone. It has to have the assistance of state and local law enforcement. So in order to incentivize this, they arm these guys, they give them all the toys. Hey, it's cool, right? They incentivize them with asset forfeiture, 
And what it creates is a situation where basically your state and local police are becoming a, a, an armed extension of the federal government to do the federal government's bidding, to enforce the federal government's war on drugs. That's what I think this all comes down to. And that's why Susan Loeb, the DOD, doesn't want Oregon to limit the types of military equipment that's going into its state and local police department's hands. So here are some stats that will help you see just how much the federal government has influenced this police militarization with its stupid war on drugs. It was Nixon who declared total war on public enemy number one, but Ronald Reagan's the one that really kicked it into high gear. Spending on the drug war tripled in the 80s, and uh, 37 federal agencies entered the fray. Now, SWAT teams, which is where you see a lot of this militarized gear used, were originally created in the 70s for uh, extreme events like hostage situations, active shooters, riots, stuff like that. But by the 80s, police were regularly deploying SWAT teams as an investigative tool, sending these heavily armed officers in the dead of night to execute search warrants. In the 1970s, SWAT teams were called out just a few hundred times all across the United States. That number increased to 3,000 times per year in the 1980s. In 2005, law enforcement agencies deployed their SWAT teams more than 15,000 times. So all of this militarization has clearly had an effect. So the feds can try to slap lipstick on a pig by quibbling over my characterization of MRAPs. But as long as police can get free military toys from Washington, D.C. with virtually no oversight, quote-unquote peace officers will continue to operate like armed combat troops. That can only mean more police shootings, brutalization, and innocent people hurt. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and spread the word. If you haven't already, make sure you go over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast for free. And you're welcome to send me any thoughts or ideas to michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.